the Yeah We Know podcast. It has something for everyone. I just don't know. I don't know what to think. I don't I don't get it yet. Read your history books, Chris. You're older than all of us on this podcast. Dudes always get squashed in their hometown. That's the way it goes down in professional wrestling. Edge is from Ottawa and he got his ass handed to him last night on Raw. I mean, it feels like there's this inside thing that I just not aware of or understand. That is a perfect day one WrestleMania opening match. The Yeah We Know podcast. Three guys who can't wrestle, who can talk in their basements. Hi, my name is Van, and you're listening to my daddy's podcast, The Morgan You Know. I uh, love the show, and you should check out my buddy Rod Morgan's pod, The Morgan You Know, as I'm confident he's primed to make some waves on the scene. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome again to The Morgan You Know podcast. I am your host. My name is Rod Morgan. This podcast is executively produced by James Jamriska. He'll join us here after a little while, but it's been a long time and we shouldn't have left you without a great pod to listen to, but we did. We haven't spoke to you since February when we talked about love songs. A gentleman who's here with us to talk about TV joined us on that very podcast. We all know the writer strike has been in the news. We're not entirely sure when we're going to get a new scripted television show. So why not talk about a few shows that just ended and did a darn good job of it? We're going to talk about Succession. We're going to talk about Ted Lasso. And then the Mrs. Morgan, you know, and I are going to touch a few minutes on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel at the end. But that means the Mrs. Morgan, you know, is here. And I should probably introduce her by now. She's my co-host in life, and she's my co-host on this podcast. It is Kate Morgan. Kate, hello. Hello. Are you excited to talk about Succession, Ted Lasso, or the marvelous Mrs. Maisel Moore? I'm excited to talk about all of them. I'm very sad to see all of them end, though. So this is a bittersweet podcast. I'm excited to dive into each of them individually, but like, oh, they're all going away. They're some of my favorite shows, and especially the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and we'll get to that at the end. I'm really bummed about Succession, though. Like, really, really bummed. Like, there's no one likable on the show and how awesome is that? So <laughs> I love that. You're bummed that succession is gone. We're sad to see them go. There's no one likable. Watch me flip both of those to intro our guest joining us. He's nothing but likable. We're happy that he is back to talk series finales with us. He is our resident couch potato. He is Pete Osterman. Pete. Hello guys. How are we doing? I'm so excited to talk television with you guys. I've been firmly planted on the couch. I've watched, I'm all caught up. I'm ready. To, I got some takes on succession. I, I and I, for one, am excited that we are starting to see some of these high production, uh, uh, huge popularity shows run their streak in three, four seasons and not drag things on forever. Yeah, following the British television model, as we hear so much about, and probably not hard to think that since a British creator decided to go out that way, but. I guess the first way I want to start talking about succession is this. Now that we have seen it end, what ultimately do you think Jesse Armstrong, who I just spoke about there, was trying to say with this show? Mrs. Morgan, you know, I'll start with you a little bit. What do you think Jesse Armstrong was trying to say when we finally had that last fade to credits? Happiness is impossible. Completely and totally impossible to achieve as a human being. Because if you can see a family who has all of the money in the world and and just and will never run out of money, can always have money, and are only trying to achieve power, but even power isn't making them extremely happy, you're never gonna get it either. So you know what? You don't need money, you don't need power, you're never gonna be happy. That's what it's about. 
Nice. I like that. An existential dread. Ultimately, just there's there's all of all of these wonderful <laughs> penthouses, all of these yachts, all of these private jets, all of these exclusive VIP areas. And you're still not happy. Pete, what do you think? How about you? What do you think Jesse Armstrong was trying to say? Well, I, I think like the, the sexiness, the appeal, the lifestyles of rich and famous kind of you know, the big sweeping uh, wide shots that he comes in with, with some of these you know exotic locations. I think he's just trying to show that even the people that are living in the upper crust still struggle for something. And it's whether that's like inner peace or if it's, you know, satisfaction of knowing that they've, they've made a parent proud or something like that. It's, it's the amount of power that we give some of these people and how terrible they are at decision-making. And it just kind of shows this whole house of cards that this 24 seven news cycle is created for us. I love that you point out the the foibles of how things are actually happening. That's one of the things that I remember taking away the most as this show unfolded over four seasons. I'm like, this is how it goes down. I mean, these, these are like the big halls of power that we hear about. And like, these are how these things are made. And the other thing I wonder if Jesse had in his mind with so many of these different plot points and so many of these different stories that played out over the course of the series is the transactional nature of everything, including even love and parental love and marriage and business and all of it, right? Like there was never anybody on succession who made a move or a play, right? As they basically always referred to it on the show that didn't think about what they were going to get out of it in the end, right? Even extending to a wife, to her husband, even extending to a father, to his three kids, right? Just the absolute transactional nature of how a lot of folks tend to do their business was the, was one of the chilling things I remember taking away from succession. And I wonder how much Jesse thought about that when he, ultimately decided to craft this show about the halls of the rich and famous and the lifestyles of the rich and famous as you touched on there Pete. and then i like what you said there too mrs morgan you know that happiness is not possible because like i said if these people can't be happy who can yeah so let's talk a little bit about the ultimate ending of the show then were we were we ever rooting for anyone to do essentially anything on this show pete like what were we hoping for as we were getting to the end of this show I honestly kind of like was having flashbacks of Game of Thrones where it was like, I know in the next 15 minutes, I'm going to get an answer. Let's hurry up and get to the answer, you know? And I think there was like some folly portrayed there. I think it was just like at the end of it, you knew it was going to be some of these characters that they were leading on that it could be, Uh, you know, I I thought that the ending, it, it definitely tried to build up some sort of suspense, but I, I off, you know, in the end, I really liked how Tom's character evolved into Logan Roy. He became the CEO just by kind of mimicking all the things that that Logan would have done. And at the end, I mean, you see that where he pulls in, uh, whether it's Greg or Shiv, he pulls in those people that are the closest to him that have betrayed him just the same way that Logan would. The same thing he did, Logan did with, with Kendall and with Shiv. Mrs. Morgan, you know, you and I had spoke about this a little bit before the podcast, so we kind of have the pre-show fist fight, as I like to call it, about this particular topic. So we'll try to bring the listeners in a little bit here. You find the ending for Shiv and the ending of the show believable. I guess I would frame it this way. I find the way it all ended, okay, sure, I believe that, boardroom, power, all of that. But I just, I don't know, the character of Shiv that I thought they laid out for me would not make that play, but you disagree. So I'll give the floor to you. Well, I think before we talk about Shiv, like I think that the ending without Shiv is totally believable. Exactly what, what Pete just said. 
And I think it was perfect because it's how Logan would have wanted it to end too. He would have wanted a killer to be the person at the end who is mimicking what he is doing and the moves that he has made and still bringing in people who have betrayed him, but who he still loves for some reason anyway, because he has to trust them, not because he totally wants to. It made a lot of sense to me. And so in that regard, I find the ending of Tom taking over is extremely believable. So then when you get to Shiv, like I think there's a couple different ways to approach Shiv. Is it her flip-flopping at the very end after she had told Kendall? I find that extremely believable. And that is because Kendall ruined it for himself in that one moment when he went to introduce to the board why they should not complete the, the, the deal with Gojo. And he just was so flippant and so egotistical and so full of himself because he's like, I've got this. I've got this. Of course I do. And he was such an asshole that Shiv needed to see him not be an asshole in that moment because it reminded her of how awful her brother is. He had shown her when they were with their mother and they were, you know, with Roman that he was he was likable when they had those childhood childhood kind of moments recreated for them when they were at their mother's house. She, she found him likable. But in that moment in the boardroom, she finally saw why he was so bad for that role. And so her flip-flopping doesn't surprise me at all. Kendall ruined that for himself. I guess I just, Pete, I just wonder how much the shiv that I was introduced to would completely make, I get what Kate is saying about the way she has to make the move against Kendall, but I think she's also going to know that making that move essentially makes her her mother. And I don't, and, and she seems to despise everything that her mother is. And she completely 100% becomes her mother at the end of the show. No. Well, here real quick. I told Rod this, <laughs> all women become their mothers, whether we want to, or we don't, or we're cognizant of it, or we aren't, we become our mother. So or, that sort of is what it is. She started to take her mother's side. That might have scared her, you know, mm-hmm. recognize the science in her decision making. That's interesting, yeah. Uh, but honestly, in that moment, um, it could have been something, I mean, you would think it might be something maternal where she's saying, I need to protect this child and, and you know, I need to be close to the power or the center of decision making for his future or, you know, her future. And, but I think it, it could have easily have come down to she was so petty that she just couldn't let Kendall win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, you know, they had I thought of it that way. way. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mean, I, find, I find that more believable than her even attempting or thinking of the child she is carrying. That did not happen. That did not well, go you, through Shiv Roy's, Roy's mind. That is being very generous. We've, we've seen Roman show as like real immaturity. His inability to give the eulogy, um, his inability to like carry out some of the plans post-election night, and, and I think I, in that boardroom he just became so um, so childish, and it just dawned on him like we're not worthy of this. You know, maybe Dad was, but we're not. Yeah, so I think anytime you go into a series finale of a show, there's an unfair burden placed upon it, right? This is a show that we've spent a lot of time with. These are characters that we have become invested in, even as deplorable, excuse me, as some of the people on Succession are, and certainly not role models or anyone we would want to model our behaviors after. We still ultimately want to see some sort of a nice bow, right? Some sort of a good wrap up, some sort of a good place to be left off from this world that we spent knowing that someone is going to be better off for it. We know exactly what they're going to be up to, all of the above. And we didn't get a lot of that in succession because that's not what the story they were trying to tell. But if I 
asked you, Pete, who do you think came closest to a happy ending? Other than Tom, of course, at the end of succession, who do you think it was? Uh, I'd have to say Greg. I mean, now who's going to be an assistant? He's going to find us. You know, if they ran the show for another four seasons, you know, Greg is that character that would somehow end up on the board or have some piece of, whether it's his grandpa's share or he'd get some slice of the pie. So just the fact that he has backstabbed everybody. He went from the, the barfing stoner in the amusement park to being in the boardroom and getting cocaine for the CEO on election night. <laughs> I think I think if anybody just rode the wave the longest, it was probably Cousin Greg. I think on some level too, right? The last time we see Roman, he's in a bar and he's ordering a drink and he has a bit of a wry smile on his face, right? And I think that that's meant to portray Rome has realized that this world is not for him. He's not cut out for this world and he's just going to get out of it and try to live his life to be happy the rest of his days. That's sort of how I took Roman. So I'd say the one person who got out of how destructive and how terrible this, this corporation and this family can be for people at times was Roman. So maybe he got a happy ending. Kate, what do you think of that? There are three, Jerry, Frank, and Carl. All of them saw everything happening and get to walk away. They get to go live the rest of their lives with a huge severance package. Carl gets to go in on that timeshare with his brother-in-law. You know, Jerry gets to walk away and say, I will never not get money from you because I have this huge, huge, huge piece of information and, and you can never take me down. You will never stop paying me. And Frank is like, you know what? I've seen it all too. And I'm old and I've lived my life. And I think I've lived it the best way possible and in commitment to this family. And I'm done too. So those three characters get to walk off as happy as three characters on succession could possibly be all right we know what this one isn't on the page but i think we're all well versed enough to answer this one we just brought up a couple of the ancillary characters there kate said the word characters we should maybe talk about some of the people that we have grown to sort of love in our own way as succession has worn on and carl is one who absolutely just shot like a rocket here in the uh, final year he gave us the immortal line of I've got your dick in my hands and you've got yours in mine, right? I mean, he gave us that immortal line before Kendall went out there and killed it with the living plus per persona, right? We found out that he went half on an island with his brother, right? I mean, just a lot of good stuff out of Carl this season. So I just, I, I love me some Carl. I'll shout out Carl. Pete, who, do you, who was, a, who was a, an ancillary character you, uh, you loved over our time with Succession? Well, I think uh, James Cromwell, I think he his character of, of Logan's brother that just hated everything. I mean, he lived that corporate life, but then he just despised it. He despised the greed. He was, he was us just trying to seek vengeance on these rich people that, that, you know, just shuffle and deal people's lives all the time. You know, everyone else is just a chess piece with these, with these big high society people. So I loved every time that he got a chance. Plus he's a tremendous actor. Anytime he got a chance that he could just, let it rip on Logan or the lifestyle I thought was awesome. But also ultimately wouldn't cut his throat, right? Like didn't vote against him in the, in the boardroom deal, right? In the, in the end of season one, you know what I mean? And went up there and sure told the truth about Logan at his funeral, but also, you know, didn't completely trash the guy and suppose gave a bit of a backstory as to why he ended up being the way that he was, right? That honor amongst brothers telling the backstory. James Cromwell, certainly a good call by you there, Pete, as Ewan, right? Wasn't that his mm -hmm. name? Yeah. 
Kate, how about you? Well, I love Jerry. I've always loved Jerry. From episode one, she's been one of my my favorite characters. She has always known where the bodies are buried. She is careful. She is thoughtful. She is the epitome of an excellent attorney and businesswoman. Like she said to Roman this season, I danced us through a thunderstorm. Like, and she and she did that consistently for this company. And so I always enjoyed uh, Jerry. And I also loved Carolina. Like, I think like as a communications professional, and as a writer and as a professional communicator and all of these things, like I know what that job looks like the most. And I think she was excellent at it, although she's a lot more calm than I am. And I love that about her. Like I love a calm comms person. I am not a calm comms person, but I admire them. And I really liked her character. I think we should talk a little bit about Tom here as we have a couple more minutes we can spend on succession before we're going to wrap and move on to uh, Ted Lasso because Tom ultimately is the one who ends up at the top, right? If you gave somebody the elevator pitch for succession, here's a show about a huge corporation and a family and somebody ultimately is going to end up the next person in charge and that person ended up being the son-in-law, right? And I wonder, I want to go back to something that the Mrs. Morgan, you know, said she said a killer is going to emerge and take over and that was Tom, right? But how much of a killer is he really? Because I think when he meets with Matson, who none of us really shouted out here and just incredible work by Skarsgård in this final season to just come off like a douche in every way, shape or form anytime he was on screen. But when he sits there and has that dinner with Tom and basically tells him, I need a yes, man. I don't need new ideas. I need a pain sponge. Oh, and by the way, I'd like to have sex with your wife. I mean, is that really a killer or is that just somebody who has absolutely no soul whatsoever? I think it's a little bit of both and he's playing the game. He has always played the game. It wasn't like Tom was a yes man behind the scenes. The, in, the conversations between him and Greg throughout these past seasons were the most honest versions of Tom that you were ever going to see. And so that is the person who I think Tom actually is compared to who he can tell people he's going to be. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. He's a CEO approved by the board. Madsen's a predator. Like, he can he can use sure. this. He can use this in any way that he needs to, and he will. I have every faith in that. Pete, what odds would you put on it that at some point Matson starts sending some of his blood to, to a Tom? Do you think that that's <laughs> going to be a thing that happens? This apparently is something he does when he gets in a relationship with people. <laughs> no, I I think Wom's Gams that 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 dinner where he he essentially gets cucked. You know, he's like, hey, I think your wife wants to hook up with me, and I think I could do it if I wanted to. It, you know, he just he just came across as that CEO that can just take the BS and keep the company in line. And I think that's that's what ultimately got him the job. I love that, you know, he's uh, uh, the actor's name. Um, McFadden. Matt, no, uh, McFadden. I love that he can be so Midwestern Minnesota, like, you know, like, oh, if I have to sing for my supper, I guess I will. You know, it's like, there's all these like Midwestern little lines. You're just like, oh, God, he sells it so well. And he's awesome. Yeah. It, but I also understand that like, he, he just wants to be that guy that doesn't, he, he's not going to be the ax man for Madsen. And I think that was kind of the bridge guy that they were going to take. And it just, Sometimes that's how succession rolls. It's you're in the times that you are. 
Oh, Wom's Games has some of the greatest lines throughout the course of the show, too. Like earlier in the year when he was getting on a private jet to go to, I think it was the Sweden episode, and Greg wasn't going, and Greg's all like, well, shouldn't I be with you? And, and Tom was like, no, 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 I cooked up a couple of little Greglets. You know what I mean? He's like, I have a couple of little little guys on the side that I could cook up in a new Greglets and do everything that you do for me, right? Like completely let Greg know that he's not important at all. You know, and he just, when him and Greg are fighting in the bathroom, right? And Greg actually fights back for the first time ever a little bit. You know, the worst yeah. fight in recorded television history. Just so much great stuff between the Disgusting Brothers. Just, you, you basically have to shout out those guys as the, the most enjoyable part of the show. Because certainly when we saw Tom at the yes. beginning of the show, he was a bit of our POV character, right? Here's somebody right. from the Midwest. Here's somebody that's not born of money. You know what I mean? Like all of these different things. And so... To see him end up on top was uh, was cool. But I also don't think Jesse Armstrong was saying, you kids, if you work hard, can get to the top like Tom did. I ultimately don't think that's what he was saying. I think if you fight and kick and scream and and betray and and continue to be very smart and are always on your toes and are always thinking, what is your next move? You could do it. You just have to have a certain kind of ugliness about yeah. you in order to get there. And that's the hard part. Because all of these characters on Succession, as much as we loved the show, are ugly human beings. And that makes us happy. It makes us feel better. So even though they're saying happiness is impossible, we can still be happy knowing that we're better human beings. Well, you know what? I, honestly, I think there's no better place from there to transition to a show that does completely the opposite, right? Yes. A show that is about happy, a show that makes you feel good, a show that has more of a hopeful story to tell. So we will take a little bit of a break here. And on the other side, this trio that you've just been hearing from will be joined by the producer of this podcast, James Thomas Jamriska, and we will talk about Ted Lasso. You listen to me. You play like that next week. You can kiss the trophy goodbye, because today you will play like a bunch of little pricks. You hear me? Yes, ho! Series finale talk continues here, and we are lovely. Lovely? We are excited. I don't know what I was doing there. We are excited to be joined I'm by... Yeah, you are lovely. We're excited to be joined by the lovely producer of this podcast, Jimmy Jam Riska. Jimmy Jam, thanks for coming on talking a little pop culture with us. Usually we got you for wrestling. We always have you for wrestling, I should say. Doing a lot of sports, but we don't get you on many times for TV and movies, so we're excited about this. Well, as I said in our pre-show scrum, you had no choice on this one, even though you didn't know. Uh, I'm very excited to be on this uh, podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. All right, well, we are going to talk about a show that I guess is not officially the series finale, but everybody feels like it should be the series finale. I think maybe that's a spot to start here. I mean, Jimmy, do you hope that this is the end of Ted Lasso or do you want to see something else? This needs to be the end of Ted Lasso. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a terrific three season story and um, it, it just wrapped up so great with the final episode going back to the first three episodes linking all that together. I just thought it was a terrific way to end it. They did leave a couple different doors open and I know we're probably going to talk about that, but I want this to be the end. Pete, how about you more lasso or you think this was a nice bow to tie on it? Uh, I think, I think they told the story or, or they told a story. Um, I don't know that this is the last time we see these characters though. You know how this is 10 years later, somebody shows up with a good script and now you got a, a 90 minute movie. But I think as far as like, is there going to be a next season greenlit? I don't think that's going to be happening. Yeah, I'd say the Apple TV of it all, I would tend to be on your side there, Pete, right? You know, these streamers these days, especially one like Apple that doesn't have a whole lot of original content that struck in the zeitgeist quite like Ted Lasso did. I would imagine they have a, a want to go dip back into that well. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see something, right? Like maybe just the new AFC Richmond minus Jason Sudeikis, right? I wouldn't be surprised if we did that, you know, because we still were definitely set up for that. So I think we could see some more Ted Lasso, but maybe it's not the Ted Lasso that we saw for three seasons. Kate, how about you? Oh, it's it's done. Like I, I did not care very much for this last episode. It felt very, very rushed to me. Love, love the series, but the last episode felt rushed. And because they were cramming so much into the last three minutes of that episode, I'm not sure where you go from there. Um, and so it, it does just need to kind of to end on this note. All right, let's go here with Ted Lasso. The same thing we did about succession. I think this is a good question to ask yourself when a show comes to an end. Jimmy Jam, we'll start with you here. What do you think Bill Lawrence Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt, the showrunner, creator, executive producers, were trying to say with Ted Lasso. I think they were saying everyone is unique. We have our highs and our lows, our positives, our negatives, and that's okay. You know, you got to be comfortable with who you are. Um, going out of your comfort zone every now and then is good as well. But again, it's just everyone's unique. And I think we had a lot of different perspectives uh, of that in the show. I like that for an answer. I absolutely like that for an answer because I would tend to wonder if there was one thread of a story they ever actually wanted to tell. I I think it's kind of hard to actually have that thread of a story you want to tell when you're basically just starting with a character that was created for a spoof commercial, right? And you're just, there's an American in, you know, British football, right? He's not going to know what to do. So you have all of those setups for the early seasons. And then I think, just to be honest, I don't know if they knew where to go. I think they strayed a little bit. There were some stories that I was kind of like, really, this is what we're doing? But ultimately, showing heart for all kinds of people in all kinds of different situations is what Ted Lasso was best at. So that's what I think these guys wanted to do. I think they had these certain tug-at-your-heartstrings moments that came up during the three seasons. And I think ultimately that was a show they were interested in, making those things come out, the story be damned. Mrs. Morgan, you know, what do you think? Yeah, I think this show personifies the best advice that I've ever been given, which is to always assume goodwill. And I think that that's what Ted Lasso does in every situation, especially in the first season. He is always assuming goodwill from people who are not assuming that from him, who do not have faith in him. And he is he is showing that goodwill toward them and assuming that they have good intentions. And as a result, all of these characters then start to show that they have good intentions too and believe that in other human beings. And it's a ripple effect. And I think that that's the beauty in the show. Pete, how about you? Did we touch on it? Is there something else that needs to be pointed out? Well, I just think that it was a great way for the showrunners to make like this title character that was like the most optimistic and positive human being imaginable and that was their superpower you know whatever you're whatever you were throwing at them they could handle just because they, they showed that kindness and thoughtfulness are not characteristics of a weak leader and i thought that that going throughout and you really empathized with with the title character as he was dealing with you know long distance relationships with his family and the, still the struggle with his dad and what happened to him so i, I thought they did a really nice job of showing people can have weaknesses and but not showing that they have cracks i think another superpower of the show is that they cussed freely 
I really do. I think that 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 showed a lot of of relatability and realisticness in the show itself is that you can't have all of these good human beings doing all of these good things and leading by example and then becoming better people and going through hardships and going through life without swearing like sailors, because that's what really happens. That's what it really, really happens. And and especially with British people. No, no British person is just using any sentence without fuck, right? Like it's just not going to happen. So I and, think that that really brought some, some likability to it too. I, and good looking people hook up with each other. Always. <laughs> always. Forever and always. <laughs> Jimmy Jam, what do you think? We, uh, we tend to not have as much blue language on our podcast, but I saw you shaking your head there on the monitors when the Mrs. Morgan, you know, was saying that. Do you think that the, uh, the blueness of the show uh, had an impact? Yeah, because it was real language. That's how I talk. That's how everyone talks. You know, it's mo- melding more. Maybe not Kate at work as much in front of some of the people she works with. It's a lot, though. But, <laughs> but, yeah. it's still but, a lot. but really, though, you do you do talk like that a lot. And you know, we're at a point where in society, where who the fuck cares what you say? You know, just say it. That's see what I did true. there? Because I yes, did that. I see what you did there. I'm proud of you, Jimmy. I'm proud no, of you. No, all of the clergy, I, I, <laughs> I swear kind of freely around it. They're really used to it. So. That's beautiful. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. All right, then let's let's hit this one then. Uh, are we going to remember this show for all of the funny moments or are we going to remember the emotional moments? Pete, what do you think you're going to remember Ted Lasso as more? Oh, I think it's, it's a good comedy. I think it's going to be like a feel-good comedy. It connected you with the characters just because you were invested in them. But ultimately, you know, there was still rule of three with some of the joke writing that they had. It, it, you know, the early episodes were very sitcomish. You know, that's what I think this is one of those shows that if there was ever like a, a, a big like Apple TV series or Netflix series that I thought might jump to syndication, this might be it. I could see this being like on FX reruns or something like that. That's a very good point. Ms. Morgan, you know, how about you? You're going to remember the emotional moments? Because I believe I looked over at you and it might have been a little wispy in the room at times during a Ted Lasso episode. Do you think that registered with you more or the funny bits? No, it'll be the emotion for sure. I mean, like there are so many funny things and I'm not trying to to discredit the show from being as funny as it was because it was in so many moments, but it was so much more touching from a humanistic standpoint. And I think that that I that it's that humanity that will resonate with me in the long term. Jimmy Jam, what do you got? Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, it was so funny that it got you emotionally invested into the characters, and by the end, you know, I the, the final the finale, it was a little rushed. We actually had to watch it in two different parts, so it seemed longer for for my wife and I. But it was such a happy finale. I. I've been watching these shows that have really crappy finale. I mean, they're good, but they're really down finales. And I was just so happy at the end of this for everybody. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. That's fantastic. <laughs> so uh, I think it was barbecue uh, sauce. <laughs> very emotional, a uh, very emotional uh, uh, string for Ted Lasso. The show ultimately as well, I think too, I'd like how you guys said we got invested in the characters and a happy ending and you just felt good at the end. We'll uh we'll leave uh, a question I have about the ending for a little bit yet, but who are some of our characters that we just grew to love, right? Because I love how we pointed out right at the beginning of the show, Rebecca's essentially a villain, right? She's working against Ted Lasso, right? She hires a, a feeble moron because she wants the team. To, it's Major League, essentially. She's Rachel Phelps, only with the British accent. You know what I mean? So she's trying to do that whole number. Then we have Roy Kent, who's 
not necessarily the most likable guy. Jamie Tart, complete douche. You know what I mean? Nate, we love Nate, works his way up to an assistant coach, but then we hate Nate because he rips up the belief sign, goes off to the to the bad guys, right? And so who's your favorite character on Ted Lasso? Because I think ultimately, whether this show was emotional or funny, it was only either because its characters were so great. I think that's hard yeah. because they yeah. all did show so much good growth. Like that's what makes you fall in love with characters is when you see how much they grow and they all grew in their own individual ways. I think the character that I fell in love with most is probably Roy Kent. Um, usually I'd go with a woman, but with him, I just felt like there was such an evolution of just being this hard ass and like, this is my persona and this is who I am. And then this transition into who he needs to be as an adult and as a non-soccer player, and then who he needs to be as a man in a relationship and to his family. And I just, and, and so there was a lot of, um, I think, and also I think just some of his lines were some of the funniest too. Like they were just undercover funny in this gruff way that he did so, so well. So I, I really enjoyed Roy Kent. Roy Kent definitely gave many of the laughs along. Jimmy, and this is Morgan. You always right that there's so many characters to choose from. So, I mean, if you want to holler out a couple here, that's fine. But, you know, it's, this is our spot to talk about the uh, the non-Ted Lasso members of the cast. The The word evolution was used, and I think that's a terrific uh, word because... It's not wrestling, it's, Jimmy. All right? I know that's why you wanted to hear evolution. That's, what, that's why your mind tripped. Damn right. Um, Jamie Tart's evolution was amazing. Mm-hmm. It, uh, you know, that cocky youngster, and then he gets really mean and uh, doesn't really care about anybody, goes away, comes back, and at the end is just uh, you know, making up with his dad at the end. I just think that that entire story arc kind of came out of nowhere because you, you, you had him pegged as this is his character. Yeah, he might get better and he might, do, he might make a pass one, one game and, and someone else will score a goal, but they really did go the, the full way with that. I love that. I don't want to take anything away from Pete, but I do want to shout out Rebecca as well. Holy cow. Uh, What great writing. Uh, Hannah Waddingham is fantastic in that role. Um, You know, she's going to be in a lot more. I mean, she's been in a lot more since, um, but she's continuous. She was one of my favorite actors uh, in this uh, in the show. Yeah, I think the definite the themes that they are able to get out there through Rebecca's character are absolutely amazing, right? A show that at its heart, again, is about a goofy soccer coach. All of the different, you know, I mean, not to steal the woman, the Mrs. Morgan he knows angle here, but all the different angles that come out for women there for Rebecca is absolutely got to be a hallmark of the show for sure. Pete, how about you? Who do you got for us? You know, like as far as like a wild card that I just enjoyed when he was, I saw him in the frame was Coach Beard. He, he was just so random. He would drop nuggets of knowledge, but then like he could give that straight face and you're like, well, he's deep thinking or he's pissed or like, you know, we'd have the same face, but you could get different emotions out of it. I thought Joe he was Walsh a is absolutely player. a better guitarist than Jimmy Page. All right. I agree with Beard on that. Yeah. Hot take there. Hot take. For good. But like when he came back from like, they had like the, their, their, trip over to Amsterdam and he just shows up out of his van. I mean, that was like classic coach beard. But I, for me, like where my heart is that the character that like, um, I really loved his one liners or his, whenever he was in the diamond dogs, he always dropped the biggest nuggets of knowledge. And that was Higgins. I, I loved Higgins. Yep. As, he was, you know, what, what did he say? Like you keep asking for help and accepting it when you can. And you just are always moving towards better. It was like, gosh, what, if you could just encapsulate the show into one phrase, it was a Higgins bomb. Mm-hmm. 
He was a smart, wonderful, beautiful character. The best we can do is keep asking for help and accepting it when you can. And if you keep on doing that, you'll always be moving towards better. I mean, that's just, I remember looking over at the Mrs. Oh. Morgan, you know, essentially right there. And I was like, dude, senior should be writing that in yearbooks if those are still a thing that people <laughs> I have. I know. Stop writing, stay cool. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did, did you all point to him like everyone in the scene did as well? Because, like, yep, that's it right there. Yeah. That's the yeah. one. That's it. One other that I want to throw out because we haven't said anything about her is Keely. I think that there was a serious transformation from Keely who did not have an identity as an individual or as anything else other than as a soccer player, football player's girlfriend, right? Like that's, that's who she was. And to see her grow and to see the relationship between her and Rebecca grow into one of mentorship and support, I think is very, very meaningful. I said that toward the end of the first season that I love that that's where that was heading because you so often just see women at each other's throats and like a lot of times it doesn't exist that way it exists in this like i love you for who you are and because i've learned all of these lessons i'm going to support you and i think that that's just beautiful so their relationship was a highlight for me too you know to get more into the nuts and bolts here of the uh ending right i think that Rebecca's character gets brought home with the fact that she realizes she can't sell the team, right? That like her investment and what she's done for those people of AFC Richmond and their fans over the last couple of years and what it's meant to her, she can't possibly give that up. So I loved her decision of, and let's sell it. And then to the fans, right? Let me get some money, but let me let, let the fans have some ownership in this. So I thought that was a great ending there. Let me ask you guys all this specific question. We get Ted's happy place being at home. And we get him coaching his son in soccer. And then we go to the stands a couple of different times and we see the miss, the ex Mrs. Lasso, but we do not see the douchebag boyfriend sitting there. Are they trying to tell us that Ted might be getting back together with his wife? We'll, we'll start with uh, my wife on that question. Ah. Mrs. Morgan, you know. This is one of the problems I had with the ending was how rushed all of that was. And you can't do that kind of rushing playing a Cat Stevens songs either. Like, can I just say, like, you can't just like take us with one of the saddest songs and most meaningful songs and then be like, oh, and then here's this and then here's this nugget and you discern from it what you will. No, 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 no. That is your job, series finale. Your job to like close these loops and tie these bows. And I I would have liked to know, like, I think we are supposed to assume that they're maybe together, or at least that man is no longer in the picture, which by the way, is just so highly unprofessional (laughs) from a therapist. I cannot, I could never get over that. I'm like, what the hell? This dude is just seeing one of his patients now who he was counseling through marriage. You're an I don't see anything wrong with that. Oh, <laughs> nothing to see here. Move along. So yes, all of those little problems and in, in, in that storyline in and of itself, but I think we're just supposed to at least think he's no longer around. Yeah. Jimmy I, Jam. The, suit, the, the suitcase was weird because why are you taking your suitcase to your ex-wife's house from the airport? But again, he's come from the airport, wants to see his kid. I can see that too. I'm hoping that it was just, Hey, Douchebag is gone because if you really love somebody, you're not going to mock what they love uh, and you're not going to mock someone who they love as much as he did during that. And that was a good that was a good job of showing he doesn't really care. Um, You know, he's he's not that good of a guy, obviously, because, you know, therapist, dating patient, not a good guy. Um, So I think it was just, hey, they're back. They're working things out. I don't. But it's just like friends. I don't I don't together. 
I did sort of like as much as we're supposed to not like the boyfriend, and you're right that he shouldn't be making fun of something that his uh, his girlfriend at the time means something to her. But I did like that he was kind of the stand-in for American soccer fan. Basically, I'll call myself <laughs> out here like myself. It's basically like, oh, geez, here we go. Zero, zero, one, nothing, man. There's some exciting stuff here. So I did sort of like that call out there. I didn't say he was wrong. I just said he was right. But you're exactly right. That when you care about someone, if let's say I really loved soccer, Thank God you, you don't. wouldn't sit there and make fun of me or make fun of what's on the screen, especially if it was a thing that me and Van loved, like me and my child both love this, and you're just making fun of us for liking this and making fun of the sport. You don't do that to someone you love. So fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let me ask you guys another question, right? Again, Later. I think I, I made I made reference to the fact that I think their story meandered a little bit and we had some craziness, you know what I mean? <laughs> I enjoyed a lot of what they did with Sam, right? I enjoyed the uh, Colin storyline, right? I enjoyed some Trent Krim, right? All of those at times seemed a little forced, right? And it was a little kind of heavy-handed, some of the stuff that, that involved there, but ultimately good sentiments to come out. My issue, the biggest one, is Nate, okay? I'm not entirely sure what we were supposed to get from watching Nate going in, trying to get the date with the hostess, quitting his other job or getting fired. I don't know. That's another question I have. Why was all of that basically not shown to us? And then my thought is if he's going to leave AFC Richmond in the way that he does, he should only come back as the head coach of the other team. And then if he's not that anymore, we don't need to follow him any longer. So I sort of had a problem with that. What do you guys think about the whole Nate of it all in the final season? Here's my so, thought on oh, it. Go ahead. I, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, here's so my. here's my quick thought on this is just that we had seen all of these other characters, very main characters from the first season on go on these incredible journeys and character development journeys. And because he was a central character on the first and second season, it didn't seem fair to do that to a character who had such prominence to just let him go and just be determined as an asshole. He still had a journey to go on. I didn't, love it in the beginning of the season but in the last couple episodes and the way that they wrapped it up I thought it was really really beautiful to show his growth and development as a human being and to show his genuine <laughs> sadness and like sorrow and how sad how 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 sorry he was to Ted I mean the way that that actor did that scene was unreal in the locker room and and so I felt all of that and I just think it was it was nice to do that for that character it gave us that great moment, I suppose, with Coach Beard as well, yeah. right? We got a little bit more of Coach Beard's backstory through that. So, Pete, I know you as a, as a Coach Beard guy, you probably dug that scene, right? Yeah, you know, when we talk about how these characters, like, even Beard's ending. <laughs> he's sitting first class, but he's like, nope, I've got a plan. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like he's just got one last curveball ready for you. And, you know, I, I think that was also a really cool scene because he was he 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 had always put his loyalty to Ted Lasso. I mean some of these characters you could see like you know what what was their strongest characteristic or belief and, and for him it was loyalty and for he just he needed a coach to give him that that clearance to say man chase your heart and do what's best for you you know Jimmy your thoughts on Nate so the Nate storyline kind of went with the theme of the show, people finding themselves. Um, I know you hated it, uh, but uh, I was actually talking to my wife, too, and she she wasn't a huge fan of it. And let's be honest, the depression stuff, calm down. We didn't need that much, all right? Just simmer down on the depression stuff. Um, but anyway, so Nate was an outcast taken in by Ted Lasso. He was given a voice, 
And he really thought that that was awesome. But then Lasso thought that Nate was okay to go by on his own. So that's why he didn't keep buying him stuff and because he thought Nate was okay. And that just, obviously he resented that. And that's where that anger came in. Um, it, it took him to see what a real person is, you know, in the Rupert thing where he cheats. And I think Nate just quit on that because he finally saw that, hey, Rupert's a bad guy. I'm a good guy. I thought that was great. Um, but it did give us the uh, it did give us the Coach Beard backstory, which is something that I don't think. I mean, honestly, yeah, you, you can see that that happening in Coach Beard because anything's possible with Coach Beard. No question. But that was a really heartfelt discussion that he and Nate had. And I, I, I loved it. So I thought it was, I thought it made it worth it, Rod. Did you notice how he didn't blink during that entire monologue to, to Nate while he's standing there with tears in his eyes, he does not blink during that entire scene, giving his entire backstory and like telling him why Ted is so meaningful to him. It was just so beautiful. And all of the rushed scenes that I was talking about that one, I felt like, we got exactly what we needed. We didn't need any more of the backstory. It was told in the way it needed to be. You know what else I think the backstory did as well? And Pete, I'll come to you after this because I think you might be having the same idea as me. And I apologize ahead of time if I steal it from you here. But what I think the beard backstory did is it made him come out of the realms of, and sorry here, this is one of my all-time favorite shows, but it made him come out of the realms of Kramer, right? Or as much as we love Kramer and he comes into the scenes and does crazy things, Kramer's not a real person, right? No one lives like Kramer. No one does the things that Kramer does. And Beard is set up kind of as that guy. But then when you get the backstory and you're like, oh, yep, okay. This guy was in jail for a couple of years. This guy was messed up on drugs for a little bit. You know what I mean? This guy's, you know, really taking advantage of a second chance. But he has these demons and then all the little Beard nuggets that are weirdness over the couple of seasons just make so much more sense to me. Pete, what do you got? Well, I wasn't going with the Seinfeld Kramer angle, but I, what, I guess what I was going to pose to you guys is, you know, through whether it was Nate or Coach Beard, some of these characters, like they are giving their final performance. Do you think that maybe they get lost themselves a little bit? Some of their own pure emotion goes out to Jason Sudeikis for all that he's done for him with the show and this, this, you know, these are huge breaks in these guys' careers. I think sometimes you you can emote to a certain level, but then – just your true feelings come out. It has to, at least. I think that's a really good point, right? I'm sure that there's a lot of emotion that these actors are able to play on from that, right? Because certainly a guy like Brett Goldstein, right? A guy like Hannah Waddingham, you know, we, we hadn't heard of any of these people before, you know? So it's going to be big things for them, absolutely. So I think there you could be onto something there, Pete. I've never really thought about that, but who knows what emotions actors play upon to be able to do the things they do. But I think the show was well acted. I think the show had a heart. But I just think it lost the thread on story sometimes, and that caused people to take some pot shots at it. But ultimately, I think Ted Lasso should be remembered as a great accomplishment and, and an excellent and charming performance from Jason Sudeikis. It was also yeah, exactly what we needed during a pandemic, too, because that's when it launched. And that's what humanity needed. That's like politics were, every, were everywhere, pandemics everywhere. We all needed that show. We talked about this before on this podcast, but like we needed that show during these last three years. And I think it was a gift. Yeah, Jimmy Jam, you were saying something there. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I just I love the way that we talked about the show and we haven't mentioned Ted Lasso the character that much because it really was kind of like he said change the name change the title of the book this was about all the characters and all the people in in, in his world and and how they uh revolved around Ted and I just thought that that was uh, an amazing show uh for an amazing time and 
even to put a bow on the Nate storyline too, the last play was Nate's first idea. You know, how cool is that? How they just said, Nate, remember that idea you had three years ago? We're doing it now. And it worked pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Kind of like running the old picket fence on them. Right, Jimmy? <laughs> don't, let the, don't, don't get caught watching the paint dry. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know that there's too much more to be said about Ted Lasso other than I'm happy that it was around and good on Jason Zadakis. And it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. It'll be interesting to see what these others do from here. Pete. Jimmy Jam, I want to thank both of you guys for talking series finales with the Mrs. Morgan, you know, and I, because I don't believe either of you have seen The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Now, we'll tell you both that you're making a mistake by not seeing it, but it's uh, it's a show that I don't believe either of you watched. So the Mrs. Morgan, you know, and I will talk a couple minutes on that on our own so we can say a good night and thank you to you gentlemen here. But, Pete, I know that the Mrs. Resident Couch Potato watches it, right? Oh, she's a faithful watcher. You know, I, I, I am guilty of being that person that works as I watch TV, so I'm on the laptop. So I... I think I've followed along with some of the storyline. They're having some flashbacks this season, but you know those what what she loves so much about it, and I'm sure you guys will dive deeper into. But just like the set pieces, the costume design, uh, just some of the old throwback stuff, she really loves. Makes it fun. It is most it is most definitely a different world. Like we talked about Succession being the world of the rich and famous, and we talked about Ted Lasso being <laughs> a fish out of water over in Britain, which all of us don't have experience with. This is back in the '50s and the early '60s, so. Uh, Jimmy Jam, thanks for coming on talking about pop culture. Did you have some fun, or did you really all of a sudden want to talk about suplexes? Was that urge right there in the back of your mind? Uh, I, I do kind of want to talk about Seth freaking Rollins uh, a little bit, the new, uh, <laughs> the new title that's out. But, hey, listen to the Yeah, We Know podcast for that. We'll uh, have all the information you need on that every week on Thursday or Friday, depending on when I get to it. You were so on brand, and I love that about you, my friend. All right, we will – we will have a little bit of a uh, break here provided by Jimmy and then Mrs. Morgan, you know, and I will have a few words to say about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which also ended its, what was it, four season run or five season run? Five season run on the other side. My goodness, that is a lot of khaki. <laughs> and I just realized it is actually a very flattering color for most skin tones. I know you're relieved. <laughs> I just want you to know how much I admire you guys. I could never be brave enough to wear the same outfit every day. <laughs> All right, we saved a little treat for the end here, just the Mrs. Morgan, you know, and I together to talk about a show that I think when it first started off, it had a big, shiny, glitzy platform and a name out there, just like the two shows we spoke about before, Succession and Ted Lasso. But I think, unfortunately, it fell out of favor a little bit being on Amazon Prime. It kind of went out being not watched by as many people in its fourth and fifth seasons. And Kate and I think that's a shame. And we think there's a few of you out there that agree. So we thought it was proper to spend a couple minutes on it since it just wrapped up its fifth season so i'll start with you mrs morgan you know how did you feel when the marvelous mrs Maisel came to an end i felt very fulfilled i felt like i i really loved this ending i loved this last season i like how the show is able to tell a long storyline and 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 many many stories that are going to take place in the future into these episodes and weave them in in these very very smart ways and give us closure on a lot of these characters' lives. Um, so I felt fulfilled and I felt very grateful. I would say that I thought that this was a proper payoff to a show, right? I think that. It gave us enough little nuggets about the ultimate success that the Mrs. Maisel reached, right? It gave us a flashback all the way to 2005 and other times and things that she did, right? We found out that Susie, her manager, 
became a big time success. Those were all fun things. But I think ultimately her doing a set on a television show and it being that funny was a great place to end because the best set that Midge ever did possibly prior to that one was the set she did that got everybody to notice her in the first place. And I believe the pilot episode, Mm -hmm. right? There were times throughout where she was supposed to be doing sets that were good. And a couple of times I remember myself, "Ah, I don't know. And that ultimately is what's tough about a show like this to write jokes that are funny. That's on top of writing characters that have depth and storylines that people want to follow becomes tough. And I think it lost that thread a little bit, but a thread it never lost was phenomenal acting. There's too many to almost shout out on the show, but I'll have you start. Well, it's phenomenal acting and it's even more phenomenal writing. Um, So before I forget, you mentioned the writer strike in the beginning, pay writers what they deserve because they're worth it. And I think the marvelous Mrs. Maisel proved that. The wonderful Amy Sherman Palladino. I'll go ahead and call her out here. She's won Emmys before, used to do the Gilmore Girls for any folks out there that was a big fan of that show. So she's an experience. Now, one thing I will say, you don't think she gets a little too, right? Like Aaron Sorkin-y, right? You don't think she gets a little too wordy? I think that's maybe the one slight pushback she gets sometimes. Oh, perhaps, but it doesn't bother me, right? That could just be your cup of tea or not your cup of tea. For me, it is mine. And I am also a, a, a serious lover of Aaron Sorkin. So the wordiness doesn't bother me. Um, and, and so I won't I won't slight it for that. But I think these characters are so well-developed because of the writing and then the acting yes on court of course on top of that i would hang out with any of these human beings i think they are all so likable and so quirky and so interesting in their own right outside of the role that they play in midge's life that that they're just they're wonderful, right? Her parents are wonderful. Her in-laws are wonderful. Her ex-husband, I mean, her manager, Susie, is phenomenal. So I, I just really enjoy all of them, and I love their quick banter, and I think that's what makes this show so great. All right, then, I, you know what? I probably should have started with this like we did on the other two shows. What do you think that Amy Sherman Palladino, as I just shouted out there, and I believe her husband also is, is, a, is a co-creator, what do you think they were trying to say with the show Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Do you think female empowerment ultimately was their goal, or do you think it was something else? I think it was female empowerment and the, and the things that, that women are able to do and, and that progression of women through the years. Like you said, this show started in the 50s, and it takes us through Midge's life and various facets of it from the 50s through 2005 and what her career looked like and what those obstacles looked like, especially in the in the late 50s, early 60s for a woman is unreal. And and she, you know, says it at one point in her last you know, her last stand up act, like I'm doing things that my my mother and my grandmother never would have done. And I think that there's a lot of beauty in that. I also think a huge message of the show that was really embodied in this final season was one of friendship. And that is the friendship between Midge and Susie and how important that friendship and that bond was to Midge's success and to Susie's success too. Without one another, it was not going to work. And they both knew it. And I, and I think that um, that just says a lot about the power of female relationships. Without one another, it could not be possible. I love that you said that because I think that that's absolutely at play in the in-laws and the parents of Midge, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel played by Rachel Brosnahan, right? You have Tony Shalhoub as her father, her mom's actress name. I'm sorry, is escaping me. Perhaps I'll look it up here in a second and be able to shout her out as well as her mother-in-law's name is escaping me. But then you have the wonderful (laughs) Kevin Pollack as her dad. So I will look up the two actresses name here when I throw it to the Mrs. Morgan, you know, and I will shout them out here in a second. But 
they were just so different, right? You had Midge's dad was was completely mercurial and nuts and manic at times, and Midge's mom was, but in a completely different way. And the two of them together became the perfect pair. And Moish and Shirley were both loud and obnoxious, but they loved each other very, very much. And there was just great acting out of all of them. So love, love that. Well, it's it's a relational show. It's it's all about those relationships too. So not just Midge and Susie and what their relationship and their friendship looked like, but you're right, the friendships and the relationships between these other tertiary characters, secondary and tertiary characters who were so important to making Midge who she is and and giving her the fodder and the storylines that she could then communicate in her act. Shirley, played by the wonderful Caroline Aaron, and Midge's mom, Rose Wiseman, played by the wonderful Marin Hinkle. All right. Sorry, ladies. If you're listening, I apologize. We got your names out there now. Show about women's empowerment. We didn't realize a couple of the characters' names. It's fine. That's just bad podcast hosting by me. I didn't have the IMDb or some notes up in front of me, so I apologize about that. Let's talk a little bit about, you said Susie there, Alex Borstein. I think she's another sort of breakout here, right? Alex Borstein's been around she did a voice on The Family Guy. She was on Mad TV. She's been a stand-up comic. She's got a stand-up special, so to speak, on Amazon Prime now. But I was blown away by Alex Borstein, her force and her wit and her acerbicness, but always at the same time, the heart that still was on display. I was just amazed by Alex Borstein as Susie. I think what it what it shows is that you can be a, her character shows is you can be a tough as nails woman and still have the sincerity inside you and the advocacy inside of you to be a smart business person. And and she did that because I don't think that you can just be powerful and 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 angry and all of these characteristics that that are her without having that sincerity. And you see it when she looks at Midge and you see it when she advocates for Midge and you see it when she does that for some of her other clients in this last season, too. Or when you see when she's having the great roast episode, which, by the way, is a fabulous episode of TV, Mm -hmm. just fabulous concept, fabulously written, well acted. So many great guest stars that pop in there. And the other part you get about her heart, Susie's heart is her roommate from the first or second season who then dies on the show is someone she continues to live on through this fund and the scholarship thing and this honorary deal that they do for Jackie at all times. And then that's when you're like, Oh, all right. Yeah. Susie definitely does have a heart of gold, even though she's completely cutting people off at the knees. Every time you turn around the roast episode in season five is one of the best, best episodes of television I've ever seen in my life. And, and I stand by that. I couldn't believe what we had watched when it, when it ended, like it was just so smart. It tells decades of stories. Yeah, it's got some Forrest Gump qualities to it a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Where they're kind of like they're they're retelling some Hollywood fables in their own little way. And Susie was involved in them. And it's just, it's really, really good stuff. Decades of stories within one hour of television. And it was brilliant. I kind of get the feeling like maybe Amy Sherman Palladino and her staff would have liked to go on a little bit longer. But the costume designing and the set pieces and doing a period piece, all that stuff costs just so much money. And in the streaming world, it's so hard to get eyes that I think at some point the Amazon bean counters, right, with so many people losing their jobs on Amazon, we're like, we can't be spending this much money anymore. But I think they had more story to tell. And that was a sharp, witty way to get a lot of that out without just uh, bad uh, exposition or just weird flashbacks that didn't make sense. Or flash forwards even, which also can get really, really confusing on shows sometimes. So ultimately, I think 
I will remember Tony Shaloub the most, though. I want to shout him out here a little bit before we before we wrap up. I thought he was absolutely wonderful, and I thought there is a scene where he goes out to what seems like a throwaway dinner with uh, one of his colleagues at the Village Voice, a place he works at in the fifth season as a theater critic and a few other people. And they're meant to sit and conversate and talk about intelligent things, right? And drink scotch and be men, right? They're like, they're kind of, they're talking about that at the beginning. And then all of a sudden, Abe Weissman, Tony Shalhoub's character is overcome by what he, how proud he feels for his daughter and how he realizes that he has made a journey on what he expects from his daughter and what he actually knows she's capable of right and he does it in an introspective way right he realizes that he's the one that placed all of these things on his daughter and that society places all these things on his daughter and perhaps that was wrong and he should have been more supporting her and trying to help her achieve her dream that she went out and did anyway and it's just it's the closest i ever came to crying a little bit during that show because it was just wonderfully acted wonderfully written and a great sentiment Mm -hmm. Yep. I love that scene. But I also love, I think another character that, that I have come away with the show adoring is her mother is Rose Wiseman and the journey that she takes, I think in the second season and, and saying, I've had enough of all of this mess. All of you people are messy. I'm moving to Paris. I'm going back there. That's where I spent some time when I was, when I was a young woman and I'm going back there and you can follow me or don't, but this is what I'm doing. And, and reinvents herself and her life based on, on that trip and and determines I'm more than this too. And so I think that all of these characters grew because Midge was able to grow in her career and show them that you can continue doing that. Now, I will also say at at she all of the success achieved at her children's expense. Midge was a terrible mother, just just not present. Just just not present, which I had a hard time with because I think you can still be incredibly successful and still be attentive to your children and, and the people in your life at the same time. And I hated that's the only piece of the show I didn't like. I hated that it all came at the expense of the relationship with her children. I gotta feel on some level that's a meta sitcom thing, right? Kids can be such a problem in sitcoms. You know what I mean? You ultimately want your characters doing other things and you don't want to worry about, well, what would they be doing with the child? You know what I mean? So I think that that was the decision ultimately made there, but then it provides some of her best jokes at the end, right? Like one of her running bits during the four minutes she finally does on the Gordon Ford show, which by the way is also brilliant. The way that she just steals that microphone and goes up there, even though she's not supposed to just the same way that she jumped up on the stage half drunk when she wasn't supposed to in season one. But when she says my children and their names will come to me and she says it three or four times. And then her last thing she says is Ethan and Esther. I told you it'd come to me. It's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. But, but I think that showing them as adults in, in this last season and how their relationship is non-existent and Esther in therapy in the very first episode shows that like, maybe originally they wanted it to be on a sitcom level of not having them not be present, but they sure did bring that back in the end. So I, I just don't think that that's always necessary. And it's, and it's, I mean, perhaps that's how men are, you know, and, and successful men at the expense of the relationships with their children. But I just think women deserve better always. Well, there you go. That is uh that was the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It was a marvelous little TV show. It took you back. You got to see uh, what it might've been like in the early days of television in the early days of comedy, right? We, uh, we have Lenny Bruce as a character throughout the show. We didn't talk about him. There were some lovely Lenny Bruce moments at times, right? So you get to see the, the, uh, 
the morphing of uh, how, you know, everybody had to be prim and proper. And then Lenny Bruce started saying things that, oh, my God, how can you say this to a microphone and being arrested? So that was kind of a cool thing that Marvelous Mrs. Maisel tells as well. So if you're listening to the end of this podcast and you have not watched the show yet, bless you for listening. We really appreciate that. But check it out. I think you'd enjoy it. Amazon Prime. You probably are an Amazon member anyway because you get stuff delivered to your house. So why not check it out on the Prime video feed? All right, Mrs. Morgan, you know, we did enough just conversations on season finales here. Did you enjoy coming back and doing a podcast for the first time in a while for the people? <laughs> I definitely did. Although I'm sad again to see all of these shows ending. So we'll have to pick up some new ones to talk about. But I believe we are going to make a promise to you, the Morgan, you know, nation, right? This episode will come out for you at the beginning of June. All right. We will have another Morgan, you know, drop in the beginning of July. All right. We've got something we've been cooking up for a little while. We need a couple of weeks to work on it. Right. We got to do some facts, some figures, some people got to vote on some things. But we have what I will tease now as an impossible mission that we're going to do for you. The next Morgan, you know, podcast is going to come out in July. So we're going to try to give you one in June, one in July and one in August. All right. We got no football going on. NBA is going to come to a close. We're going to need some content here on the podcast network. So we're going to come with the pop culture podcast for all you people. We promise three more this summer. Mrs. Morgan, you know, can we do it? I'm in. We're totally in. We can totally do this. All right. If Midge can do it, so can we love it. That's a great place to stop there. I'll just remind you, subscribe to the podcast, right? Whether you listen on Apple, whether you listen on Spotify, somewhere else, there's a follow, a like, a subscribe, all the above. Do that for us. Please leave a comment, leave a five-star rating. That really helps folks out there then learn about the show. We greatly appreciate that. And just keep listening. That's all we ask you to do. It don't cost nothing. So until the next time we come back and talk to you here on the Morgan, you know, podcasting network, I have been your host, Rod Morgan. And this Kate, you're going to say, Goodbye, Internet, because we have Chris say that on the other podcast. You say it now. Go ahead. It's all right. Goodbye, Internet. I don't like that. I think it's okay. <laughs> it's like it's like our tag. It's kind of what we do on the podcast. All right. Goodbye, Internet. <laughs>